Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, we are live for another episode. And on today's episode, I interview a ERYT 500 yoga teacher, mentor, and entrepreneur. She also has a master's degree in spiritual psychology and is also a somatic experiencing practitioner. Most recently, she's co-founded Sama Yoga House, an international school that combines traditional and modern approaches to create a holistic education and life-changing experience for the students. Welcome to the Winter Circle, Giaconda Parka. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Mm. I'm so happy to have you as well. I just interviewed your co-founder, um, Christine Anderson, who's my friend um, from Austin, Texas. And she says, I have to talk to you. And um, do you prefer being called Gia? Like yeah, she Gia, Gia is great. Yeah, it's a little shorter and easier to manage than Gioconda. So, yeah. Okay, per- perfect. So Gia, the goal of these conversations, as I was mentioning before, is just to really uplift, inspire, and empower everyone tuning in to move forward with greater faith and belief on their hero's journey ahead. So this is a positive conversation. And this first question sets us as such. Um, there's a lot of chaos going on in the external world, but there always is. Um, and that's not what this is about. This is about what's going good, what's going well, and what is going well in your personal world? That's my first question to you. What do you love about your personal world right now, Gia? Mm. Uh, growth, exponential growth. I would say that is the number one thing that I love um, in my world right now. And I would say probably that has been, you know, you talked about the hero's journey. I would say that if I look back, starting from the very beginning of my life, it's it's really embracing every chance there is to leap into um, bigger growth, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowing. Yeah, and I'm excited to delve into that origin story of your hero's journey. But first, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. And one question I ask everyone to get to like a kind of a better idea on who I'm speaking to that pertains to our mission our personal mission. So I named a lot of titles that you that you are a yoga teacher, mentor, entrepreneur, um, spiritual psychologist, somatic experiencing practitioner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, through all these roles, what is your overarching mission that guides you in all that you do? I would say if my time here on earth could contribute to as many other people as possible, um, moving through the things that limit them, the, that are, that don't have to limit them. I really, uh, I want to see every human being reach their full potential as they want to express it in the world. So I would say every one of my titles that I have, every sort of schooling that I've gone to or new skill set that I've tried to get is to be able to just support people in realizing they have everything that they need inside of themselves 
And the limitations that they perceive are often just that, just perceived limitations. So to keep going back within to resilience, to keep stepping forward into the things that pull on them, the things that they know that they want in the world, um, because the journey is the destination in that way. It's the it's the growth that happens on the way to our goals and the things that we overcome or sometimes we don't have to overcome. We just have to stop believing them. Mm -hmm. So I'm so curious how you got here. What inspired you to take this mission on? Mm. So um, I would say probably, I mean, I'm a missionary's daughter. Originally, I was born in Puerto Rico. My parents were um, working in the mission field for five years um, with a Christian um, church. And so I think that I was kind of born into being on a personal mission <laughs> in a certain way. So I could say in some ways, this is my legacy. Um, and for me, it has, uh, it's, it's moved away from organized religion um, and become more of just knowing that I, I don't think that we can be completely whole as human beings without having some kind of a spiritual life, whatever that looks like, whether that is communing with nature or moving on your mat, or um, I've met entrepreneurs that literally like that is their like spiritual practice and their passion projects. But I just, um, to me, um, to have a spiritual life just means to have a life that's in a context that's bigger than my individual self. So- mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, I would say that's sort of like where what I was born into has 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 sort of kind of grown to in in the course of my my journey. Mm -hmm. So you started off um, raised um, by missionaries, mm -hmm. and then somehow yoga came into the story. When did that happen? Um, yeah, well, so a couple of times actually, when I was. When I was young, um, younger, I think I was like maybe 12 or 13, I was a voracious reader, um, and I still am. Um, it was a window to the rest of the world that I didn't have exposure to because um, my parents were very much in just one tradition in one way. And so um, I started reading really early and realized like, oh, there are other ways that people see the world. Um, and so reading was was a huge doorway for me. Um, and so I went to a garage sale and found some books on yoga and I was fascinated, yoga and meditation. And I was so excited, um, but my parents found them, my mom found them and was um, just, terrified to be honest I mean in retrospect that's what I see at the time she was angry but I think I think it was just a frightening um thought for them that I might not stay on the path that they wanted for me so um those were taken away disposed of and 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 then life kind of went on and um, I still had that little marker, though, that there was something about yoga and meditation that was really interesting to me. So then I was kind of a wild, rebellious, typical preacher's daughter in high school. Um, I moved out when I was 16 and um, got a job and finished high school on my own. 
Um, and then went to college and had a moment where I thought um, I should maybe try it their way. You know, I had been a lot of friction with my parents. So I, I led a mission trip and, um, and came uh, on that mission trip. There was a meditation center. I was in, in Santa Barbara, California. And so we had Bible study in one building and there was a meditation center next to that building. And um, about midway through the summer, I um, got a little crosswise with um, the person who was leading the Bible studies. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, you guys can keep doing that thing. I'm going to start going to the meditation center. So I went to the meditation center every morning and um, still participated in the other activities that were laid out for us that summer because I was really interested in the work of, um, helping people, you know, uh, we were feeding people. And also, um, there was a counseling center where we could just be there to support people. So I liked that part. So it was kind of the first time that I had this combination of being of service and meditating. Um, and it was amazing. And, um, and then my life took sort of a different turn. Um, I met somebody, uh, I got married, we followed the Grateful Dead around for a while. Um, it's how I ended up in Austin, Texas. He was actually from here. Um, and so I uh, spent um, some time um, experimenting with psychedelics and consciousness and understanding my mind. Um, and again, just expanding beyond this first worldview that, um, that I had grown up then mm -hmm. let's let's uh let's take a pause here it's just a few questions sure. um so yeah let's talk about the effect of psychedelics on your journey it's like something i'm really interested in talking to my guest about because it's a medicine and so often it's erroneously seen as a drug um and it can be far from that when used intentionally um so yeah let's talk about um the role of psychedelics, um, that medicine, those various medicines on your path, and what did it help you see? Ah, oh, such a great question. Um, I remember like the very first time that um, I experienced LSD um, and started to just have these visual responses. I was holding a glass of water in my hand and then it just looked like it bent in my hands when I squeezed it. And then it went back to its shape. And I know it just sounds like such a simple thing. But in that exact moment, I just realized like, oh, nothing is necessarily the way that I perceive it to be. And mm -hmm. it was just um, the way that this medicine, I agree with you 100%, the way that this particular medicine worked for me in that experience was to just um, open up this like very small box that I've been living in to begin to say, if this glass is not the way that I perceived it to be, and it wasn't like so much of a linear thought process, it was like it just opened from inside of my mind there are so many things that I've been told about the world, about heaven and hell, about sin and blame and who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't and what makes you a good person. It was like just 
opening and opening and opening like a lotus flower. Like all of these little petals that were closed in that said things were this one certain way. It's like, what if it's more than that? What if it's more than that? What if it's more than that? And um, it can be a little overwhelming in moments um, when things start to open in that way. But I just stayed with the process. And really by the end of that experience, where I landed was ultimately, if you can learn to love everyone and let those, let that be the thing that's at the heart of your interactions rather than um, a set of rules or mm -hmm. outside standards, but really to like come from love and stay connected to love. And then from there, just begin to be open to feeling what feels more connected to that and feels true and loving people, even when you can see that they aren't in their like sort of highest self. And then, um, you know, in return, meeting people who will sort of connect and love you when you're not in your highest self. Like to me, that was kind of where I landed. I was like, I guess this is my new working religion so to speak and then of course um these big expanded states like that open the door and then they're the most effective when from that big opening then we step back into life and say okay how am I gonna <laughs> how do I live that every day mm -hmm. that's a big piece is stepping back into life Right. Um, so often um, it can happen where people just kind of stay in the ethers and they fail to integrate. They fail to step back into life. What have you learned about that integration process? Yeah, um, it takes time and it takes the support of um, conscious community. And, you know, I community is also a big word for me. And it's it's such an important thing. I think it's something that we are, everyone that I'm talking to anyway, and everything that I can see and observe in the world around me, I feel like we're needing it more than ever um, to return to that sense of communing, um, finding connection with each other, finding ways to support each other. I think really um, it's, it's two things, this integration process. One is to recognize that a big opening, a big realization um, from the inside, it never goes away, but it also doesn't do all the work for you. And mm -hmm. so it's learning to um, whatever that epiphany is to sort of like write it down or commit it in some way um, so that then it's a touchstone to go back to. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you get to figure out like, what does it look like in an everyday moment for me to like lead from love and hold someone in their highest, even if that's not what they're expressing to me in this moment, what does that start to look like? Um, and so it's like working with that and then having the support of other people in your life who are similarly trying to live um, with whatever unfolding has happened for them, whether that's through psychedelics or not, it's like, you know, when we have these big awakenings, you no know, altered states can come in lots of different ways. It can come in ceremonial space. They can come through the aid of psychedelics or the combination of both. 
Mm -hmm. They can also come from, you know, um, sometimes tragedy or like really, really difficult things. But it's like when you're in connection and community with other people who have decided I'm going to live according to this thing that's opened up from within me rather than trying to live up to whatever external standards were given to me or what sort of the general collective seems to be doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I think we just have a much better chance of staying the course and um and it's also just so much easier <laughs> when you're not yeah, absolutely on your own yeah. yeah and it also applies to integrating something like a yoga training um or an aha learned on your mat um so I love that you showed, showed all those examples that could be a tragedy it could be from psychedelics like I just said yoga or something that we epiphany uh, we find on our mat um so many so many things and community is such a big piece and so you had various communities you went in through um, on your journey uh, versus a missionary and then um at that meditation and i think like it was bible or meditation and um religious studies place and then with the grateful dead community um and that's where we that's where we left 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 off so you got married, you traveled around uh, following the Grateful Dead. What happens next? Um, sort of that, that kind of journeying, which was happening while I still had a job, just fresh out of college. We got married, we bought a house, we kind of did the, did the house, but also the, you know, the journeys um, into weekends of just full alternate lifestyle and community um and then we traveled um for the first time met a bunch of people who were um on their gap year or just had decided that traveling was their lifestyle and so then that was the next big step was um my uh my partner at the time and i we decided to quit our jobs and hit the road so um we were following the mayan trail through um, Mexico and Central America, and then landed on an island in Honduras, um, which is really one of those full circle moments in life, because the second I landed on that island, I felt this sense of home that I really hadn't experienced before in my like adult life at all. And um, now I know that that was really like, a, a somatic memory it was my tiny little child self um remembered living on an island and seeing the palm trees and the sand and the ocean and the even the foods were so similar to the place that I was born and raised um and I didn't really have a lot of conscious memory of that but we got to Honduras and I was like, I'm not, I'm done. I'm here. I'm home. So lived there for a couple of years. Um, so it was a, a dip into an expat community. So again, living with other people who had decided to um, sort of drop out of the way that life was going um, in their countries of origin and figure out how to carve out a living on a little island. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then living connected with nature, um, scuba diving uh, became like a breath 
meditation for me. Um, it was, I would say it was my first, um, my first yoga, I think like closest to asana yoga was that time under the water. If you've ever scuba dived, all you can hear is your breath. So the mm -hmm. whole experience is, is guided by that. And, um, and so it was a very sweet time in that way of being immersed in, in nature and in a connected community. And it was also a really difficult time for me. Um, a lot of drugs and lots of alcohol and lots of partying. And it was very diminishing on our relationship. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, so that's, there's that, the upside and the downside, right? So in the beginning, definitely like the psychedelics were about exploring and then, um, it's the you know our surroundings and our our community sort of shifted and it became more about escaping than exploring yeah absolutely um i'm curious to delve into that a bit more um first let's start with the quitting job and hitting the road a lot of people dream of doing that um how are you able to make that work how are you able to make that financially viable option for you and your partner at the time ah uh, great question so I had um, gotten a job right out of uh, college. So I was working for the state and um, the job that I was working in was actually a support job for kind of a crucial part of the um, response network. At the time, um, there were some big floods that were happening in Texas. So long story short, I just had a lot of vacation days that I never took. I had a lot of overtime that I never had cashed in. And I had my 401k. And so um, after like about two years of working, um, I looked at what my cash out was going to be and thought, all right, that'll do. <laughs> mm. And so, um, so I quit my job and cashed that out. And my uh, partner at the time had um, some savings of his own as well. So we put our money together and um, we traveled cheap for a long time. So a mm. lot of backpacking and buses and um, sleeping in hammocks. Um. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, now um, to the escapism. So you notice you're no longer, the drugs became um, an escape. Um, what were you escaping and when did you realize that they were an escape and then how did you transition out of that? Mm, that's... That's a great question. I mean, I can only answer for myself. I can't answer for him, but I can say for me, um, I think there were two things that I was escaping. escaping. One is that the relationship itself wasn't really working anymore. We were just becoming very different people. Um, and I could see that, but I also was afraid to see that. And so I think that I was trying to sort of uh, push down that inner voice that was saying like, this, this is time for something to change. And, and I was afraid of what that meant. And I think also um, I was pushing away this, this feeling. Um, so when we first started traveling, it seemed, I mean, it was amazing. Um, it was amazing to be traveling the world. And somewhere along the line, I lost the thread 
And it became more about running away than running to something. It was like we were out on the road and there was a point in the beginning. And then it just became being on the road to keep being on the road to not go home. And um, this was a critical thing for me to learn about myself as a human being. Um, if I'm not uh, doing something that feels like it has a positive impact on myself and other people, then um, I start to I start to have just a, a deep level of sort of angst and anxiety. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, the best way I can describe it is I started to feel like more of a parasite than a contributor mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so and i was uh that was there and i think uh, again i wasn't sure what i could do and so because i didn't know what i could do to contribute i was trying to numb out that feeling mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um you know at some point when you're internal voice is really strong when you've already had um, a powerful experience before of knowing what it feels like to be aligned with the truth of who you are then when you're not it really um, it can be really uncomfortable and so I think that's that's what I was running away from yeah and um, I'm sure you've met a lot of students of yours that are in similar positions and there's so many people out there that don't that want to contribute but they just don't know how um what's your advice for these these fellow humans these fellow souls on that path that are in a similar situation where you once were um kind of lost in terms of how can i contribute and wanting to contribute more not knowing how so um, numbing other than numbing how can these people move forward and, and find their purpose find their passion and uh, make po create positive change in their life it's mm. the best question in the world um, my experience of it was the first thing was to like um, stop running so it's slow down and allow you know, with support, like the support of a practice, the support of a community, or just even like deciding for yourself, okay, I'm going to look and see, I'm going to listen to these, this call and find out what it is and just take the next step. So, you know, if your answer is whatever your next answer is, I mean, for me, I, I went, I decided to stay sober for one day to go to dinner by myself and to really just sit still and decide, you know, do I want to live here for the rest of my life or is it time to go home? And it was so, I literally heard like a voice so clear that said, this is not your home. And so it's, it's to listen and then to take action. And so it's like, I heard that voice and I said, okay, this is not my home. I don't know what the next thing ultimately looks like, but I do know that my next step is to go back. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think if, you know, I think if you can be brave enough to hear what the guidance is and then just take the next step, even if you're like, I don't know where this step is going, 
I would say most of the big journeys in my life, it's like that. It's like, I don't know where the, the ultimate end of this path is, but I do know I have to start it. And this step right here, this is a thing that I can do to start it. Mm-hmm. Fear gets in the way. Fear gets yeah. in the way in that for so many. Um, what have you learned about fear? What what has your relationship with fear evolved into? Oh. <laughs> uh, that's fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I think that all of the somatic work that I've done, um, somatic experiencing is uh is a is a whole body of work around recovering from trauma and it's really um, returning to resiliency so one of the first things that i've learned about fear which is also a teaching from yoga which is that um, fear is part of the human existence there is no way to be a human being and not experience fear so learning what fear feels like for each one of us and the ways that it can tend to sort of shut us down. And then what do I need when I'm feeling fear in order to move from a place of fear to action? And so the kind of general thing I know about our biology is that um, fear makes us um withdraw from connection with others if it's a really high level of fear and it can make us feel like um paralyzed frozen Mm -hmm. so um the first thing that has to happen when that is happening is i have to feel um go back to a place of feeling safe in my body because it's that like lizard brain it's the most primal part of us um and when that level of fear is activated we can't actually talk ourselves out of it. And sometimes we can't even reach out for like a friend or a therapist or a teacher or a counselor, somebody who would help in that first level of like, I'm so, I'm just so afraid. I'm just shut down. It's like the simplest thing we can do is to like give ourselves a hug, to physically place hands on chest, to take some deep breaths. And to pause and be with and just say, oh, I'm experiencing fear right now. Like name it for what it is. Breathe and be with ourselves. Soon as we get to that place, then like the next step is connection. Connecting with someone else. Remembering that we have community. Remembering that we have people who are supporting us. um, And that shifts us from that most primal part into more of like the our interconnected self um and once we can feel safety and connection then we can go to all of the great practices that we know from our higher consciousness or prefrontal cortex so um and this process i'm describing the whole thing can happen in like five minutes or less powerful thank you for that so your journey has brought you back to austin i believe that's what where home was for you at that time um back back to austin texas and then i don't know if this was next you could correct me if not but you go back to austin and then you found a community and that community ended up being a cult yeah yeah so i um i came back to austin i um 
dropped back into yoga. Actually, I started virtually, although back then it was a VHS tape, but <laughs> long time ago. Um, started with a, a virtual experience in yoga, felt um, exactly what I was just describing. I didn't have those words for it at the time. But as I started practicing physically, I felt so grounded, connected, and strong in myself that I knew that uh, yoga was the next step. I was like, I don't know, you know, just had kind of like a part-time job. And I was like, I don't know what the next step in this journey is other than I know for sure I need to find a yoga teacher um, because this practice is amazing. And I've been doing the same VHS tape for like a month now. So um, at the time, it wasn't that easy to find yoga. Um, this was in the 90s in Austin. Um, and so I experimented with a few different classes. I went to one that was very intense and I was like nope that's not what I'm looking for and then I went to um another um another uh yoga class at a meditation center and I kind of thought that was it and then right away you know they were like well you have to be vegan and you have to do this and you have to do that and I was like well that kind of sounds like what I grew up with so I'm not interested in that either and then I found um uh the group that I ended up um joining. So I found my teacher, my yoga teacher, I had a really deep, um, transformative experience in my first Shavasana in that class. Um, I did the practice and, and during Shavasana, I just, um, it was, uh, uh, one of those altered states. I really felt, um, this moment of being at peace with everything that my life had been up to that moment. So it was like little things that are big things, both that I was carrying around that I felt unresolved with or guilty about. Um, and in Shavasana, I, I just felt, I felt like forgiveness for myself, for everyone in my life, for everything that had happened up until that moment. And then I sat up after that experience and was like, well, this is definitely the place that I want to practice. Um, and it turns out that my yoga teacher um, then introduced me to a meditation group. And then that meditation group um, sort of evolved into like getting introduced to a larger group and then a larger group. And then pretty soon I was in what felt like an amazing spiritual community. We were all um, just working to... Um, you know, see the parts of ourselves that were getting in the way and be devoted. And um, I didn't actually meet the guru, the teacher, for probably nine months from the time that I met my first yoga teacher. He was not the leader of the group. Um, and so I would say I definitely fell in love with community way before um, meeting like the leader. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of people. You know, some people meet the leader and they're really like drawn to that. For me, it was more like the connection with other people. Um, and for the first few years, it was amazing. It was amazing to be part of a group that was so dedicated and so um, focused. And then it just started to be weird. You know, there was a lot of secrets that had to be kept and... Um, there were a lot of things going on that I didn't know anything about um, in the first few years that I was there. 
And um, for me, um, when things started to really not work anymore was when I started to feel like I was having my own experience, like I was having my own epiphanies, my own realizations, my own experience of um, connection. And that was not okay. Like uh, the teacher was very clear that like everything you experienced was because of him. And um, so that was when I started to pull back. And then it turned out that my timing just synced up with um, a, a lot of other people feeling exactly the same way. And, oh. and then of course, finding out that he had been really abusive to um, some members of the group um, and all of that came out and mm -hmm. so that was the end of my experience um, it so surprised me that more than half the people in the group stayed even after they learned everything that had happened it's yeah it's interesting it it I, I thought you were maybe talking about kind of my yoga lineage where I begin my yoga, but it's, it's not. Um, it just happens so often. And so I begin with Bikram yoga and like, <laughs> it's like a, a same story. And I know yours is not Bikram, um, but like, why does this keep on happening in the spiritual community? What, what do you, what do you believe allows this to happen? And mm -hmm. how can we protect, how can we protect our students from this in the future? I ask myself this question so often. I mean, one, I think one of the ways that we can protect this from happening in the future is by telling our stories and telling the truth and by the truth coming out and not forgetting um, that, uh, that this abuse of power is very common. I mean, that's the other thing that's crazy is like, you know, for me with my, when I was in my story, it really felt like I was the only one. I and the people in our group were just having this very isolated experience. And it turns out it's, it's not that uncommon at all. Um, I think one thing um, that happens with community is it is easier in the beginning to form a cohesive and committed community when there's one person at the center. It's harder to create a community and a collective that's voluntary, that people are really um, into, if there's not like a central figure that everything sort of circles around. It's more like people have to keep showing up, not because they're all focused on this sort of pyramid kind of thing, but more like we're in it like a circle. And I think that that is part of uh, maybe what our work is in our, our generation right now is how do we learn to commit to showing up for something when it isn't triangulated or sort of pointed at like one person who's sort of holding it all together but how do we hold each other in connection mm, I love that and it's so interesting that you said the circle and that's that's really the whole reason I created 
these conversations. It's called Welcome to the Winner Circle. And this, uh, I don't need to get into the details, but it was because a, a group that where this kind of originated from, it was, there was a center and everyone fixated on, on this, this, this higher person. Um, but what I recognized is like, it was all the people around him. That's, that's where the heart was um, because the, the person he portrayed himself as is not who he, who he truly was is, is, is fiction is that was, that was only one little piece that he saw on social media, uh, but in person and talking to people around him that, that did not exist. And so this, these conversations originated to um, speak about just kind of the divinity I see in so many people that surrounded him that I also see in me, that I see in you. Um, and we're all in this together and there's no, there's no higher person. We are all that person. Um, and it's taking action and embodying um, that hero archetype um, and stepping up because we could all, we could all achieve um, everything. All the guests I have on my podcast, they, they all have accomplished amazing things, but they're just like you and I, um, you know, we're like so many people will see all your titles. Oh, how could you do that? But then when they hear your story, they recognize, oh, I started there. I recognize that. And then they just step by step, embracing the process over the day sh destination, we're there. So that's kind of the origin of this po this podcast, this conversation. Welcome to the Winter Circle. And you just explained it. Um, I, I really like that. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the Winter Circle. Um, winner. What does that word mean to you? Um, to me, it means embracing the process over the destination. Um, taking one single step in the present, whether that be, and it doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be quit your job, travel across the world. It should be taking a deep breath, getting into your parasympathetic instead of your sympathetic. You could be just a bit more upright, open posture versus closed posture. Become, it could be being aware of your vibration. It could be being present versus caught up in the past or the future. And that's moving us forward to where we want to be, who we already are. Um, what does winning mean to you? And what does going for your win look like for you in your life today? Mm. Yeah, winning to me means not letting fear stop me from doing the things that are showing up for me to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think, yeah, if I think about winners, winners to me are people who like see an opportunity, see a possibility, see a pathway forward, and they take it, even though they're a little afraid <laughs> to do it because, um, because that step forward doesn't always have that end in sight. So it's like being willing to to do the thing, the next step, even when you don't know where it's going to land you. Um, mm. And I mean, that I would say too, that winners to me are exactly that. They're people who have kept going. Mm -hmm. I've kept going because I think, I think there are a lot of people who will take the one step and then the step back because like, oh, wait, that was scary. So it's like mm -hmm. what what that first step is and then staying with it consistently. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, you know, finding, finding yoga is one thing, but staying in the practice over the decades, it's the layers of, 
uh, wisdom that unfold. I think part of it is overcoming fear. I think another part of winning is overcoming boredom. Mm -hmm. um, because it's it's just it's just your mind and your ego that gets bored. And sometimes right in the moment where you either get really fearful or you get really bored, that's right in the moment where you're about to like discover something new. Some mm -hmm. new um, strength inside of you that's able to go forward or some new depth in the process and that that moment of boredom is right before you realize like oh my gosh all the gold is right here mm -hmm. all the gold is right here in the consistency and the showing up and and then the breakthrough happens Mm -hmm. so what does living your win look like for you today <laughs> well sama yoga house is really i would say what living my win looks like right now so when um christine um came to me and said hey let's do this thing i was equal parts like yes and oh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's whenever I have that big feeling of yes, right next to like, this is something that I've never done before, um, to, uh, embrace that. So living my win is really every day waking up and looking at what is there to do today to continue to move towards the vision that we hold for what Sama Yoga House can be, not just for us, but for our students and then when they're graduates um, for the world, what they can take back into their communities and into their lives. And, and so waking up every morning and um, really reconnecting with the bigger picture of what we're after um, gives me all the motivation that I need to then like sit down to the tasks and the new things that I'm learning every day as a as a new business owner as well as a yoga teacher and trainer. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's take a moment to just discuss yoga. Um, it's something that Christy and I had a chance to do in my last episode. And we were discussing um, and it's something I'm really passionate about. Like I've been practicing yoga for the last 15 years. I've been teaching for the last 10. And um, only more recently, the last few years, have I just really leaned into the fact that the yoga that dominates North America in particular is so asana-based and kind of mm, missing the point. Um, out of the 196 uh, aphorisms of the Yoga Sutra Patanjali, only two of those pertain to the physical postures. Um, and I really like to look at the eight limbs of yoga. Um, and out of those eight limbs, only one of those is the postures. Before we even worry about the postures, I think it's so important to get awareness the yamas, the niyamas, the observances and restraints. Um, and then we have the the postures, but then there's the pranayama, then there's the tuning out the external world, there's the going into the internal world, there's the sitting in meditation, being able to do that. And then the most magnificent branch, the samadhi, there are recognition um, 
of the divinity within us all, um, that we are all one. And in a world that's consumerism-based, like, it's now like Lululemon yoga or big box store yoga. And I think that's really, um, really getting away from this ancient 5,000-plus-year-old tradition wisdom. Um, so, yeah, what does, what does yoga mean to you and how is the Sama Yoga House being a part of the positive change, the remembering um, of, yeah, of the true essence of who we are um, using the practice of yoga, the philosophy of yoga as the means. Yeah. Um, I love everything that you just said. Um, For me, the the asana piece right the the physical practice um holds the the space in this great wheel of yoga of embodiment so um and and it's critical and it's important that we are fully embodied i know for me in my personal life that like the it was standing in warrior two and feeling this center line of my body and having a teacher say to me feel the strength and confidence of this shape Mm -hmm. and 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 embodying that and then immediately thinking oh man i've missed feeling this what is going on in my life that i'm not standing in this all the time and literally within three months had changed everything like moved everything out that didn't have me in that place more and more and more of my life. So the embodiment piece of the practice is so important because it isn't subjective. It's like, we're there, we're in our body and our body's in the present moment. And as we know, like through meditation, it's moving into the present moment out of everything that pulls us away from that that then does become that doorway for samadhi, that doorway for remembering that I am like a consciousness that's not defined by anything that you see physically or Mm -hmm. life experiences that I've had. So if we can remember that when we're on our yoga mat, we're not performing poses, which is hard to do, when we are in our sort of like social media world and um, like taking pictures of ourselves, doing poses all the time. I mean, and I also have pictures of myself doing asana. Um, But it's like, can we get back to remembering that the physical practice is infused with the breath? and is a beautiful way of moving prana it's not just our physical body that's moving through the asana but it is our energy body it's the pranic body that is moving and shifting through the shapes as we do them and the you know the yamas and the niyamas they're a beautiful ways to live our life and all contemplative practices across all cultures a contemplative practice has a few qualities and one of those qualities is a daily 
thing that you do that reminds you of these bigger principles that you want to live by. So, mm-hmm. so if we move away from feeling like our asana practice is exercise <laughs> or a performance or like a rite of passage to belong in the room that we're in or something that we're trying to accomplish you know and the journey of peeling those things away is sometimes you know that's part of part of your journey through yoga is recognizing all of those things so when we remember it's a physical practice it's a breath practice it is a it is a practice of how we want to be with ourselves and with others in the way that we are when we're when we're stepping into community space when we're noticing that someone next to us is doing a different pose than we're doing like how can we hold all those things so I think if we hold that and we infuse that as teachers that I you know it's it's not about you doing what I'm asking you to do it is about an inner inquiry and there are rules of engagement to be in the space together Mm -hmm. and there is a cohesiveness of practice and an individuality of each expression of that practice. So, you know, it's a lot of pieces to tie together and then honoring Shavasana. <laughs> it's not just like lay down and pass out or roll your mat up because we're not moving anymore. It's like, as you know, it's like one of the most important windows into those other limbs of yoga of meditation and mindfulness mm-hmm. and I, I think we have to overtly speak to that i think there was a time where um as a collective in the west our yoga community sort of thought well as long as people are doing the poses eventually they'll find their way there i'm not sure that that's true anymore <laughs> i think that I think that as asana teachers, I'd love to hear what you think about that. Like, I think, I think we have to speak to that this practice is more than exercise and that we're here to become more conscious and to connect with a beautiful practice that can help you in your life. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And, um, I have a few things to say on that. The first is just in pertinence to this Shavasana. So we've worked an hour um, to attune to this frequency, this state, but then it's namaste, roll up the mat, go out. No, like I encourage like at least like five, 10 minutes Shavasana to really feel into that frequency that you've just stepped into. Um, one of my, one of my teachers, I really admire, not a yoga teacher, but uh, a spiritual teacher, Esther Hicks and Abraham. She talks about how we, our conscious creators and how this is a radio station and we learn how to attune the dial to what whatever station we wish. And I feel in the yoga mat in our in our asana practice and um in whatever that be, warrior two, Shavasana, we're attuning to a frequency, we're we're stepping into a place, an embodiment, a feeling. And it's learning how that feels so that we can take ourselves there whenever we choose, whether that's in traffic or at work. Um, and yeah, Shavasana is a great place to really attune, to feel into that place, to to familiarize yourself with that inner peace, love, compassion, patience, and so that we can take that wherever we go. And 
I think it's so important that we take our practice off the mat and into everywhere. Um, and that's that's where I teach. And I know that's what you guys teach at um, the Sama Yoga House as well. And I agree. Um, yoga teachers need to be stepping it up. We get to. We have that opportunity to show people the vastness of what this practice can be beyond um yeah just the poses you know another one of my teacher uh, that i really love it and my ryan lear he says don't be a poser um and i I love that he means it in the best way yeah in the best way absolutely that being a yogi i mean sometimes i'll talk about it like we can treat yoga as a noun or yoga as a verb and yoga as a verb is alive it's like yoga is how i live my life how I have a conversation with you, how I interact with my dog, you know, it's, it's like the yoga of, of, of being connected with everything around us, aware of everything around us, aware of ourselves when we're like off and being like, whoa, (laughs) yeah, you need to pause, take a deep breath be part of the solution don't be part of the problem you know and, mm-hmm. and really like yeah applying the same sort of like you know we have this term tapas right like like intensity and I meet so many yogis who think of of intensity as like doing the hardest hottest practice they can possibly do and um you know to me it's like tapas is the thing that happens um in everyday life in the moment where you feel this inclination to go in one direction and you know that that's the moment that you could use your yoga and and not create that karma you know not take that action in a direction that's going to have big ripples for everybody around you because you didn't use your your breath and your capacity to be still for a moment and then respond wisely Mm-hmm. and it could be it could be so easy um right life is meant to be easy um but we've learned all these um erroneous i don't know some scars these are er- er- erroneous patterns and we have the opportunity to rewrite those um and it's simple as with our breath with our presence um and a lot of my teachers have taught me this and a few i mentioned esther hicks ryan lear who have been some of your greatest teachers and mentors you've met on your path and who were they and what were the greatest takeaways that you've learned from them that you've incorporated into who you are? Mm. Well, my, my first two root yoga teachers that influenced me so much were Rodney Gee and Shiva Ray. Um, even though their physical practices are very different, like the expression of the way that they brought asana into yoga Um, both of them to me just taught me, um, so much about my energy body and about, um, and about what you're talking about, how, uh, yoga doesn't feel hard when you're connected energetically. It feels hard when you're trying to do it physically. Um, and so to both of them, I just forever will be grateful. And I feel like the way that I teach today is still very much infused with the things that I learned as a just a brand new baby yogi at the time um yogini um 
and then uh joseph campbell um you know follow your bliss um hero with a thousand faces i just have to say like his um his teaching um has been really um such a big piece of my last 15 years journey um understanding the arc of my own life's journey and then another teacher bill plotkin um he wrote this book um, the nature of spirit um and really uh speaks about he was the first person when i was in my 30s that said what kind of an elder do you want to be and i thought oh my gosh I'm really interested in that. And if I don't start being that person now, I won't be that person when I'm 50, you know? And so um, Bill Plotkin, um, and then uh, Peter Levine, who developed somatic experiencing, he's just given such a beautiful gift through that. Um, this teaching that says we aren't our trauma, but rather mm -hmm. that we're greatly resilient and, um, and that sometimes the most difficult things that happen to us are the doorway to our greatest self. Ah, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wow! This has been such a beautiful conversation. Um, you shared so much wisdom and knowledge to me and to the listeners, and I feel like we could talk forever. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time, and I have a final three questions I ask every guest, and we're at that point, and I'm going to ask those to you. So number one, through all the highs and lows that is this hero's journey, that is this life experience, what do you feel has been the greatest life lesson you've learned on your path that you feel called in this very moment to share with us? I would say resilience that no matter how hard things seem in any moment, um, whatever we need, we already have within us. And so it is just trusting that and staying the course. Mm. I would say, yeah, I guess the biggest life lesson has been how resilient I and every other human being I've ever met truly are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thank you how can we remember that when we forget <laughs> well the way that I remember it is to pause and um, I don't know if you know the Hanuman Chalisa but it's just it's a song to help this um, great hero Hanuman who has forgetfulness um, it's a song that sings all of his greatest strengths and all the things he's already done so that he doesn't forget who he is so um, when I'm forgetting my resilience, then I need to go and connect with the people who've known me for a long time, or I need to stop and think back to all of the things that I've already faced and overcome mm -hmm. and, um, and to the person that I know myself to be through all of those experiences. Mm, amazing. In three words, how would you describe the experience you're having in this reality? And so it doesn't have to be a sentence, but just three separate words that would you would use to describe the experience you were having on this earth. Journey, 
growth. Joy. Mm, journey, growth, and joy. I love that. Could you delve deeper into joy? What does joy mean to you? So, I mean, it's just that thing that bubbles up whenever I uh, stop looking at what's challenging about life and remember that it's just a miracle to be here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So joy to me is, it's like that unbidden, it's not happiness. Happiness is like a mood. It's more dependent on like what's happening around me. Joy is that um, it's like life force sort of like coming up and presenting itself and saying like, I am, I'm here to be experienced. And doesn't it feel good? Oh, feels amazing. <laughs> it feels so amazing. I, um, I remember one time coming out of Shavasana and thinking like, oh my gosh, it's like I'm neon from the inside out. <laughs> That's so corny, but it was just like, it was uh... like, this is that inner experience that's possible <laughs> coming all the way through and to the outside. And those are the best moments, but I think it's all. Yeah. That's incredible visualization neon from the inside out. <laughs> I've never heard that before, but I could feel that. I could feel that I'm in that joy right now. Just, just, just thinking of that. Um, last question. We played around with time. We examined your past. We examined your future. Let's zoom into the future. Let's transport ourselves into the future, and we're going to be alongside an 85-year-old Gia Parker. Who is that 85-year-old woman? Where are you? Who are you surrounded by? What is the legacy you've left here in your 85 years? And what are the predominant feelings in your being? That's a really big question. Okay, 85-year-old me. I think at 85, I'll be... Um, more in a place where people are coming to me rather than me going out all the way around the world. I, mean, I think I'll still be traveling a bit, but um, I see myself um, in like a center somewhere in the forest, um, probably in the Pacific Northwest somewhere um, in a place where uh, people can come and study with me if they want to. Um, can come and practice with me if they want to. Um, I uh, I see myself as um, having getting to see generation after generation. So um, I I visualize that some of the nineteen or twenty year olds that are coming to meet me for the first time have been taught by somebody who was taught by somebody who was taught by somebody who was taught by me. Um, and that I will learn just as much from them or more than they will learn from me as we come and sit together. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah. And like, the, if there, yeah, go ahead. No, you can go continue. Oh, I was going to say, and if there's any sort of like the legacy that I would like to leave, I would just love to, to leave a legacy of, um, of teachers and students of not just yoga, but of themselves and of the world that are feeling that kind of joy that we were talking about, um, that are living their yoga 
um, and that that has enough ripple effect into the world that uh, yoga continues to be available to people as the healing modality and just personal um, anchor in my life that it's been for me. Mm-hmm. And the predominant feelings in your 85-year-old self? Um, I expect at 85, I'll probably feel a lot like I do now, which is like, how did it go so fast? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just so grateful to have been along for this ride. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you just take a moment to close your eyes, just take a deep breath in and just really feel into that 85 year old woman, um, everything that you just share with us. Step into her now, embody that 85-year-old woman that has left such a lasting legacy. And I'm going to bring us back. I'm going to bring us back to the current now. And that 85-year-old Gia sends current Gia a message. What does that 85-year-old woman whisper in your ear? Don't worry so much about the small things. Mm. Advice for us all. Don't worry so much about those small things. Thank you, Gia. It's been a blessing. For those wanting to connect with you more, they could find you on geocondayoga.com or on Instagram at geocondayoga. And for those curious to check out the Sama Yoga House, where you guys are running your first training right now, Christine just started it up. She's out in Costa Rica leading week one, and you're headed down there shortly. Um, they can check out samayogahouse.com and on Instagram at sama.yoga.house. Any last closing words? No, just so grateful to have had this conversation, Derek. And I, um, every time I get to connect with another yogi who's been on the path for a long time, I'm just always so floored at how it feels like instant connection and home and so many things in common so thanks for that Mm -hmm. Uh, reminder again that we're just we're really um a small global community of yogis really Mm -hmm. creating ripples ripples yeah to close every episode we bring our fist into the winner circle a choice boom thank you (laughs) thank you so much and that's a wrap on today's call